Isn't it amazing how all of us, no matter uh, really what different stage of life we're in, that we all have an insatiable desire to make sense out of the details of life. Uh, I don't want anything to be random. I, I, want, I want to be able to connect the dots. I, I want everything in my life to make sense. And uh, frankly, this isn't a Christian thing. It's not a religious thing. It's just a human thing. You know, we all live with the idea that, that, that we meet because we're supposed to meet. And we marry because we're supposed to marry. And then we buy a house because we're supposed to buy that house. And then I get a big promotion because I'm supposed to do well at my job. And, and then we have a kid and a kid and a kid. And you can work that out among yourselves. But everything fits exactly where it's supposed to fit. Uh, that's, that's how we want life to be. And in fact, we, that, that is so ingrained in us that we have expressions that we say that communicate that. We, we say, everything happens for a reason. Have you ever said, everything happens for a reason? You know, I don't believe in coincidence. Or... When things don't work out, it's, I guess it just wasn't meant to be. It's not your fault, it's not his fault, not her fault, not my fault. It just wasn't meant to be. We think there must be some great meant to beer out there who's orchestrating everything in our life. And this particularly comes into play when there is a tragedy. Uh, when there's a tragedy, when uh, there's a bump in life, it's really human nature to ask, why did God allow that to happen? And we want to know why. We want to know why. There, there's just something in us with, with, with a tragedy that we want to figure out, well, how in the world does this fit into my life? How do I make sense out of this? Divorce. Nobody plans for divorce. Cancer. Nobody plans for cancer. Accidents. Nobody plans for accidents. That's why we call them accidents. And we just want to know, God, why is this happening to me? Where does it fit in my life? This isn't in my plan, and, and not only do I not know where to put it in my life, God, I really don't even want it in my life. But we really don't want this tragedy to lack meaning. We don't want it to lack purpose. We want it to count for something. We want it to fit into the grand scheme of things. You know, you see someone going through a difficult time, and it may be someone you love, it may be someone you don't even know very well. And isn't it strange as people, regardless of what you believe, that when you see that, you start digging around in the purpose pile. And, and you start saying things, look, I know it looks random, but eventually, hopefully, someday, this will make sense for you. We'll understand why this tragedy happened. And we just want to help people put everything together because... It's in you, it's in me to want to find purpose in every single circumstance of life. Why is that in you? 
Why is that in me? You know, I, I've been watching, and the dogs down here at the kennel on the corner, they don't struggle with this. I see them out in their play yard. I see the workers walking them up and down our street. And I've noticed that they don't seem to be trying to figure out how does this nap connect with this walk align with barking at that squirrel and chasing the mailman. I mean, they don't seem to be trying to connect the dots. But there's something in you and there's something in me that I want everything in life to make sense, especially the bad stuff, especially the bad stuff. Why are we like that? Christians have an answer. Christians believe that everybody, whether they believe in God or not, Christians believe that everybody was made in the image of God. And Christians believe that God is a purposeful God, that, that God is involved in history, that God sees things sequentially, that, that God brings order out of chaos, that God infuses design into things that have no design. And, and this thing in you that wants to make sense out of everything in life, that's a reflection of the image of God in you. In, in fact, it is so deep in some of you that this is how you actually came to faith in Jesus Christ. The, the need for purpose, the need for life to make sense, drew you, drove you to faith in Jesus Christ. I mean, you were living your life, you were doing your own thing, you're thinking, <laughs> you know, all I need is me. And you were trying your level best to, to be on your own to be autonomous you weren't attached to any bigger purpose no bigger plan it was just all about you and then at some point in your life it, it was like a pebble in your shoe there was just this nagging sense that me isn't enough there's got to be more to life than just me and this agonizing lack of purpose began to cloud everything you were doing. And yes, you were successful and having plenty of relationships, but at the end of the day, at the end of the week, life was empty because it wasn't connected to anything. That's the image of God in you. That there is a purpose, that, that there is a plan, that that thing in you that longs to be able to connect the dots, that's the image of God in you. Because God's a God of purpose. God is a God of order. God is a God that can connect the dots when we don't see any way that they connect. And God eventually brings out what you know intuitively to be true, that, that, that things work out, that, that life is moving forward to something, that, that, that bad things are redeemed and good things will result. And all of that collides with the Christmas story. Because the Christmas story is the perfect example of God dipping down in, into the seemingly random chaos of life. And reminding the world that he has a plan. He has a purpose. 
Uh, the Christmas story, is, it's a picture of God mixing it up with the affairs of mankind in an unmistakable way that demonstrates to us that he knows we are here and he cares. He cares for us. Find the Christmas story in the Bible in, in the Gospel of Luke uh, in chapter 1. And I, I just want to clear up something for you about Luke and the Bible. If you went to college, at some point you probably had a professor who told you to just disregard the whole Bible thing. They said, you know, the Bible, it's just a myth, it's just a book written by men. Well, duh, everything you read is written by men or women. I mean, there is, think about it, there's, unless you're really kooky, there's no other way that you're reading stuff, okay? I mean, it's all been written by men or women. And, and when's the last time that a college professor told you not to trust the book he wrote? Okay. But they say, well, the Bible can't be trusted, and then they kick the legs out from underneath your faith. And I just want you to know that, that today, and I know this from life experience, I just want you to know that today that professor is probably sitting in a church somewhere feeling bad about the fact that they told you that about the Bible. Because something happened in their life that turned them to God. I mean, sometime the randomness of life just flew up and hit her in the face or flew up and hit him in the... And they had to come to the conclusion that there's a God and the Bible is true. But you're stuck with this idea about the Bible that some professor told you about in college and the professor who told you that doesn't even believe that anymore. So tonight I, I want to read the introduction to the Gospel of Luke and, and I want you to listen to this ancient first century document and how it begins and see if this sounds like a fairy tale to you. Okay? Here's how Luke begins. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us. Many, not just Luke, many have tried to put together an account of the events that happened right here among us. Luke says among us because he was there. This happened in his lifetime. Just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. I mean, Luke got this from eyewitnesses who saw it happen. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. This is written for someone. So that you may know the certainty of the things you have been taught. Now that doesn't sound like once upon a time in Bethlehem. That doesn't sound like long, long ago in a galaxy far, far away. Okay? <laughs> no. I mean, here's Luke. Luke is a medical doctor. He's a historiographer who says, I've investigated it. I have talked to the eyewitnesses. I have tracked this down and I have written down an orderly account so you can know the certainty of the things you've been taught. 
He says, I, I, this is what I've discovered. And then in verse 26 of Luke 1, he says, in the sixth month, sixth month, see the detail here? In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. Now, Elizabeth was one of Mary, the mother of Jesus' relatives. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. I mean, you see this? It's names, it's dates, it's places, it's medical conditions. Okay. Now, Luke had no idea what would happen as a result of him writing this down. He had no idea that churches and cathedrals would be built all over the world, that missionaries would be sent, that martyrs would be martyred, that people would give their lives to get his story out of the first century, that book after book after book would be written, that song after song after song would be composed, painting after painting, statue after statue. Luke had no idea that any of that was going to happen. He says, I don't know about all that. I just want to make sure the next generation knows what happened. The virgin's name is Mary. Mary's probably a teenage girl. Her her life has been pretty much planned out by her parents. She's engaged to a guy that her parents picked out for her. Uh, You know, Joseph, this is Mary. Mary, this is Joseph. Uh, You know, we don't know if you love each other or not. You'll have to work that out between the two of you, but you're going to have kids because we want grandkids. And Mary, if you live long enough, but you probably won't, you might even get to meet your own grandchildren and then you'll die. And no one will ever know your name because you grew up in this little backwater place in the middle of nowhere during a time when nobody cared about what was happening in Israel. And you'll just be another nameless person who came and went and was thrown in the dustbin of history. This is Mary. Just a random girl, a random life, a random series of events. But at this point in history, God decided to reach down and demonstrate to you and to me that God is a God who is involved. And what may seem random to us has purpose in the mind of God. And that's why you seek purpose in your life. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. And we'll come back to that highly favored phrase in in a minute. He says, The Lord is with you. And just imagine how, how overwhelming this was to Mary. I mean, it says Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Don't be afraid. Why? Because she was terrified. She was afraid. Mary, you have found favor with God. There it is again. You will conceive, and notice the certainty in all of this. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will never end. And if Mary had the presence of mind to think of it, that last phrase would, would, have, would have thrown her off. I mean, it would have just been, whoa, 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 his kingdom will never end? 
I mean, Angel, I don't know if you've been paying attention or not, but the nation of Israel hasn't been an independent kingdom for over 500 years. And you're telling me that this son of mine will have a kingdom that will never end. I mean, would you believe that if you were Mary? I mean, I'm just a teenage girl. I'm going to have a son who will grow up, have some kids, I'll die, he'll die, they'll die, nobody will ever remember we ever existed. But Mary wasn't worried about the kingdom. She'd heard something else that worried her more. She says, how will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? And Luke chooses his words very carefully here. In fact, Luke is writing in the Greek language, which is a different language than where Mary and the angel were speaking, and they would have been speaking Aramaic. And so Luke chooses his words very carefully, and he chooses words that preachers and theologians tend to skip over, because if you spend too much time with these words, it gets weird. But Mary asked the question that any teenage girl would ask if if she were told, well, you're going to have a baby while remaining a virgin. And so very delicately, the angel says, the Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Now I want to do a quick survey here. Everybody participates. Not a trick question, just participate freely. But before you came in here today and before you heard me read this passage, how many of you have heard the phrase, Son of God, associated with the name of Jesus? Anybody ever heard Jesus, Son of God before? Yeah. That's what the angel said was going to happen. He said, I mean, exactly, 2,000 years later, halfway around the world, you hear Jesus, Son of God, and it's no surprise to you. Do you know how surprising that would have been to Mary? Do you know how blasphemous that would have sounded to Mary? Mary, unmarried teenage girl, you're going to have a son, and he's going to be called the Son of God. And it happened. Halfway around the world, 2,000 years later, it's no surprise to you. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. Look at this. For no word from God will ever fail. No word from God will ever fail. Now, it has been over 400 years since the Jews had heard a word from God. There were 400 years between Malachi, the last prophet in the Old Testament, and when this angel showed up and this Jesus stuff happened. Theologians call it the 400 silent years. And uh, because it's called the silent years, not because everybody was quiet. You know, when I was a kid and I'd hear about the dark ages, in my head I thought it was dark. And so when you hear about the 400 silent years, you think everybody's going, shh, be very quiet. That's not what happened. They're silent years because God didn't speak to anybody. God didn't speak directly. God didn't speak through a prophet. God didn't speak through an angel. He didn't speak. But during the 400 silent years, amazing things were happening. The Babylonian Empire rose up, and everybody thought the Babylonians will be forever. But they weren't, because the Persians came, and 
Then everybody thought, well, the Persian Empire, it'll last forever. But it didn't because Alexander the Greek showed up. And then everybody thought, well, the Greeks, they're going to be the forever. And they weren't because the Romans showed up. And, and that's when Mary lived. And so in Mary's day, everybody thought Rome will last forever. And then this silly angel says to Mary, Mary, your son is going to have a kingdom. And his kingdom will last forever and ever and ever. And everybody thought, no, no, Rome is forever and ever. Just like we thought Greece was forever and ever, and we thought Persia was forever and ever, and we thought Babylon was forever and ever, and before that we thought Egypt was forever and ever. And then God showed up in history and said, this isn't about the plans of man. This is about the will of God. And every one of those kingdoms came and went by my declaration because life is not random. God is the God of purpose. Everything happens according to his will. And then Mary's life went back to normal. In fact, she never heard from the angel again. And eventually Mary and Joseph got married. And fortunately Joseph had a heads up from his own angel and so he gladly married Mary, who was pregnant. And then, talk about bad timing, Caesar Augustus, the Roman emperor, issues a decree that everyone must register for a census in their hometown. And Joseph's hometown was in Bethlehem. And so now, Miss Favored of God, remember Favored of God? The angel said it twice. He said, Mary, you're, you're God's favorite. So now, Miss Favored of God gets to ride a donkey 120 miles while she's pregnant. And when she gets to Bethlehem, there's not going to be any room in the inn. And I just imagine Mary going, Angel, you didn't tell me about this part. Okay? Miss Favored of God would like a room in the inn. I mean, the Son of God's going to reign forever and ever, and I not only have to ride this donkey, there's no room when I get there. I mean, you could show up at any point in this story and, and ask, why would God allow that to happen? Why would God allow that to happen? Why in the world would God allow this to happen? And then Mary finds out that King Herod is jealous about the new king because Herod wants his kingdom to last forever and ever. And we come to the tragic part of the Christmas story that's really pretty unsettling. Because one morning, as people were waking up their children for the day, Herod's soldiers marched through Bethlehem, and in an attempt to kill the baby Jesus, they slaughtered every child two years old and under. Their assignment was to slaughter the males, but Herod's soldiers would rather be thorough and kill a few little girls than to go back and say, well, Herod, maybe we missed a boy or two. And so every parent with children two years old and under had their babies ripped out of their arms and slaughtered. And for the rest of her life, Mary lived with the knowledge that whereas God warned her and saved her child, God did nothing to rescue the other little children in that town. I mean, what's the purpose in that? Where's the point of that? Connect those dots. I mean, God, if you had the presence of mind to warn Mary, why didn't you just send that angel Gabriel over there to kill Herod? 
And Joseph and Mary and the baby, they, they had to flee 200 miles to Egypt and they lived there in, in exile. And this stuff didn't happen by accident. It happened to fulfill Old Testament prophecies that had been written centuries before. The Old Testament predicts the slaughter of the babies in Bethlehem. The Old Testament predicts the exile of Joseph, Mary, and Jesus in Egypt. Years go by, and Mary would experience the most unimaginable pain and sorrow that a mother could experience. Mary saw her firstborn son beaten to within an inch of his life. And Mary saw her son with a crown of thorns jammed onto his head, forced to drag a cross through the street to his own crucifixion. And the Romans had perfected the art of crucifixion to make sure that a victim lived as long as possible because crucifixion was not about execution. The Romans knew how to kill people efficiently, effectively, and quickly. Crucifixion wasn't about execution, it was about torture. And so Mary stood and watched her son hang on a cross and die an agonizing death. And looking back, we romanticize the crucifixion because we know how it worked out. But, you know, we, we hang crosses in our churches and we wear them around our necks. And... But Mary, Miss Highly Favored of God, Miss the Lord is with you, Miss his kingdom shall reign forever and ever, Mary stood there and watched her son suffer and die on a cross. I mean, God lost control? And the answer is, absolutely not. Because when it looked like God was out of control, it was the epicenter of God's control. It was the working out of the plan that God had established for the creation and mankind from, from eternity past. It was the moment that all of history had been moving toward and that all the remaining history would flow out from. And that thing in you that wants order, that wants purpose, that thing in you that wants everything to somehow make sense, that's the thumbprint of God in you. And on Christmas, we're reminded that when it seems random, even when it seems purposeless, even when it seems to have no good in it, even when it seems that, that this is an unredeemable illness, this is an unredeemable death, this is an unredeemable job loss, this is an unredeemable ma marriage, even when it seems that there's nothing good that can come from this and no way that this is some part of an overarching plan, at Christmas we're reminded that God is with us. And that thumbprint of God in you that wants life to fit together is confirmed at Christmas because God sent his son. He sent his son into this random, seemingly purposeless world to do an extremely purposeful thing that had been planned in eternity. About 25 years later, the Apostle Paul, from the vantage point of history, looks back at the birth of Jesus, looks back at his life, his 
death, his resurrection. And, and Paul writes a letter to believers in the church in Ephesus. And he says this. He says, in him, in Christ, we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything. You know what the word everything means? It, it means everything. Who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. That's the purpose that you long for. That, that's the order that you long for. That's the, I want my life to make sense that you long for. In conformity with the purpose of his will. Now Mary didn't say it exactly like this. She wasn't as technical as Paul. When the angel Gabriel finished telling Mary what was going to happen, she, she didn't know any of the details. Mary didn't know about the donkey ride. She didn't know about the stable birth and the manger. She didn't know about Herod and the slaughter of the babies. She didn't know about the trip to Egypt. She didn't know her son would be crucified. She didn't know he would rise from the dead. Mary didn't know that 2,000 years later, a third of the world's population would hear her son's name and think, oh, Son of God. Mary didn't know any of this. But at the end of her conversation with the angel, she said, what I hope I can say and what I hope you can say. She said, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. I, I don't know how faith has been defined for you. Maybe, maybe you've been taught that faith is what moves God into action. If you have faith, you can move the mountain. If you have faith, you can move God to act. I'm convinced that perfect faith is not faith that moves God to do what we want Him to do. I'm convinced that perfect faith is the faith that moves me to trust God even when it seems like he's not moving. Perfect faith says, yeah, we met just like I planned. And yep, we got married just like I planned. And we had a kid or two or three just, just like I planned. And then life handed me a job loss or an illness or the death of a loved one. Life handed me a divorce or a bankruptcy or, or things that I didn't plan. And, and my desire is not to move God back into my plan for my life. My, my faith is designed to help me trust God in spite of the fact that life isn't going according to my plan. Perfect faith is what Mary says. Perfect faith says, I am your servant. May it be to me according to your word. Because here, here's the good news. Regardless of what random things life has handed you, that, that thing in you that wants to find purpose there, that's a good thing. The thing in you that says it can't be random, there has to be more. That's the thumbprint of God in your life. The reminder that God is active in this world. God is active in your life. He has a plan for your life. And the Apostle Paul said everything, everything, everything 
is ultimately in conformity with his purpose in this world. So here's how I want to close out today. Because some of you would say, you know, this Christmas I've been handed something that I wasn't expecting. And it might have been a job loss, it might be tension in your marriage, or bad news about your health, or, or a change in plans that you didn't see coming. And so here you are on Christmas Eve, and you're going, I wonder where this fits. I wasn't anticipating this. I, I, I don't know where it fits. In fact, I don't even want it to fit. I just want it to really go away. It's not what, it's not what I planned. And I just want you to be able to pray like Mary. I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. I I want God to redeem this for good, for his purpose. And so if you're facing something that you don't know what to do with it, something that's bigger than you, something that's scary and, and... I know it's Christmas and you're here and you look pretty holly jolly, but truthfully, like Mary, you're afraid. In a minute, I'm going to ask you to do something that's going to move you out of your comfort zone. I'm I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand. And I want you to hold it high and I want you to keep it up high. And if the people around you aren't raising their hand, I want you to know that a month ago, they would have raised their hand. If some people around you aren't raising your hand, I just want you to know that that a month from now, they're going to be raising their hand because that's the way life works. And if your hand's not up and those around you have their hand up, I I just want you to pray for them. You don't have to know all the details of their circumstances to be able to pray, God, just give them the courage and the faith to trust you with what they're going through. Give them the faith to understand that if they don't know how this fits, God, you do. And so if you've got one of those random things in your life that you don't know what to do with, one of those things where you just need God to give you some special courage to continue to believe him in spite of it, would you just put your hand up? Just put your hand up. There they go. All over the place. Let's pray together. Father, we believe that nothing is impossible for you. Nothing is too difficult for you. Nothing takes you by surprise. And so, God, I pray for every single person here who, who would say, I, I, I don't know what the next step is. I don't know where to go from here. And would you just give them the wisdom to know what to do with what they've been handed and, and the courage to do it. And, God, I just pray over them the peace that surpasses all understanding that you would guard their hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And for those who are here today and they're not even sure where they stand with you, in fact, they're happy someone else is praying for them because it's been so long since they've prayed. And God, I just pray in this moment that they would experience your peace and your grace in such a way that it would draw their hearts to you. And God, that that we would not be afraid to hope, we would not be afraid to wish, we would not be afraid to look into the future. Because we believe that just as our God was with Mary... Our God is with us. And that that child born in that manger in Bethlehem was key to pulling together all the random events of history, all the random events of my life. The 
purpose of our life is found in Christ. It's found in Emmanuel, God with us. The king of a kingdom that will last forever. The king born in Bethlehem. God, we pray all of these things in Jesus' matchless name.